Hello, and welcome to Launch Legends, the only podcast focused exclusively on the stories behind internet marketing's biggest and best launches. Each week, we sit down with an online marketing expert to tell the story of one of their launches, what went well, what didn't, and how much cash they made. And now, your host, Hamad Akbar. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Launch Legends. Today, we speak with Mike of Lumen5. So I've been a big fan of Lumen5, and I've actually used them myself a few times. Since starting in 2017, Lumen5 has grown tremendously. They've got over 700,000 users and get over 450,000 unique visitors on their website per month. Mike talks about how in the early days, in order to directly speak to his customers, he had a Fiverr profile, which he used to get valuable feedback. He talks about how they managed to get over 26,000 users within eight months. So there's a ton of value in this episode and you don't want to miss it. But before we go ahead, if you are listening to this on a podcast, please rate and review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Hey, Mike, thank you for coming on the show. So uh, founder of uh, Lumen5, great company. I've uh, used the product myself, so I'm a big fan. I know you guys have over over 700,000 users. Uh, in 2020, you did two to three million videos. Uh, your users created them, and you're getting about 450,000 unique visitors on the site. So, uh, yeah, very, very uh, impressive numbers. But before we talk about why you built Lumen5 and how you got it to become a big brand and such a big company, I would love to know who you are and uh, where did you start and how did you get to Lumen5? And we'll take it from there. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for the opportunity to chat. Always happy to to talk about this story. It certainly hasn't been easy. You know, it's been a been a couple of years. We started the journey in in uh, probably around January of 2017. So it's a bit of an anniversary to be back in January again. Um, for me personally, I, I've always been a digital media guy. So you know, I, I I love everything from 3D modeling to video production and 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 digital media. You know, not necessarily programming, so to say. And so, uh, you know, I was really into building websites, uh, building mobile apps, simple stuff. Uh, And so video production, video creation, content creation was always something that I was interested in, even just from a film perspective. You know, I I went to school for digital media and there were film production courses. And as you can imagine in school, the film projects were not that great, but it Mm -hmm. it sparked interest. um, And above all, I think it helped me develop a, a respect for how difficult it is. Making videos are complicated. Uh, and I think you you think of making an image, which is a single instance in time. Then you think about creating a video, which is across time and space, and with layers and 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 pacing. That's quite a complex process. So fast forward quite a few years after school, uh, I had the great so, pleasure. So Mike, of, yeah, Mike, sorry, apologies, I'm cutting you. So when you were doing all that video production at that time, first of all, what year was that? And um, technology now is great, but what kind of difficulties were you facing in terms of? Uh, uh, video production compared to how easy it is now? Yeah, this was probably closer to 2010. So uh, the, the video production space actually, especially for the for the business and consumer side, hasn't really seen a ton of innovation. Um, you know, you, you get the After Effects, you get the uh, Premiere Pro. Uh, on the industry level, there's a lot of 
innovation when it comes to uh, Marvel films and Avengers. And there's a lot of video production and special effects innovation in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, But for for really the entire decade, the average person or the average business had no need to create videos. And so the the skill of After Effects or Premiere Pro doesn't really have applications into marketing until I would say closer to, you you could say 2014, 2015, a couple major trends started happening. Mobile phones uh, became more powerful than ever before. For the first time, you can actually watch video on the go, which was just not something that was possible before. Uh, Another major trend was just mobile data. If you recall back in the day when 3G or even 2G was a thing, nobody can afford to watch a video uh, on mobile. Uh, It would just be too expensive. But nowadays, you've got these large gigabyte-sized mobile plans. You've got phones that can load videos instantaneously. And what that resulted in was consumers now can watch videos and want to watch videos. Um, And as, as, as you all know, businesses follow where consumers go. And the demand for video created a need for businesses to create video content. Um, And what happens is owners of businesses or management will go to the marketing team and say, okay, we got to create videos. And now you've suddenly got marketing teams, communications teams who are not trained in video production whatsoever. Um, And that's kind of how I initially came upon the idea to create Lumen5 is having gone through school and learned how complicated video creation is, um, I saw the opportunity to simplify. What if we created a a much simpler solution than what you have in the film industry like After Effects and Premiere? Mm. Um, What about something like PowerPoint? How do we make the PowerPoint a video? And that became the originating idea for Lumen5. So I know, um, so with, with Lumen5, um, again, I'm jumping all over the place. So, Mike, Lumen5, okay, and forgive me, there might be some other solutions like Lumen5 before, but then I think you guys are probably one of the first ones or the first one to create those kind of videos, very powerful videos where you have those PowerPoint-style videos and all all the content is just kind of created for you. Uh, how did you even come up, come, come up with that? That's a really unique concept. And how did you get yeah. it? It that easy to get to that part of <laughs> Not at all. And I, I do consider us a first mover in this space. So, yeah. I mean, I, I w- it's hard to claim whether we were the first, because I think there were a couple people, a couple teams around the world that were thinking about a similar thing around the same time. Mm-hmm. So in 2017, um, we were certainly one of the only solutions in that space to launch. And then shortly after, a few followed. So it's hard to know whether... You know, they copy very quickly or they were thinking about it ahead of time. Uh, we don't have to go into the details there. Um, yeah. So for the first year, uh, the videos were quite simple. You look at Lumen5 today and there's lots of themes and templates and colors and customizations and the videos look really great. Transitions feel really good. In 2017, it, it really was a bit of, uh, of a glorified slideshow. You know, the yeah. transitions were harsh. Rendering times were slow. Uh, a lot of the media files were very limited to Creative Commons and what's available for free on the web. And so it was a very simple uh, version of a video creator. But at the time, because there was nothing else, that was the most compelling thing that the market had seen. Um, And so so we really started off building uh, an animated slideshow builder philosophy of of how do we turn something as complicated as video into PowerPoint. So we drew a lot of inspiration from the slide-based PowerPoint design. And then over time, um, as new things emerged, like Instagram stories, LinkedIn stories, different formats and aspect ratios, we built, we adapted the system uh, and then overall expanding the feature capacity. Now you can use it for all sorts of different use cases, for making ads, for putting it on LinkedIn, Instagram, and all sorts of different 
places. So the complexity did build upon itself over the past three or four years. Oh, wow. Because I, I remember when I first saw Lumen 5, straight away when I saw the final result, I, I understood it because I'd mm. seen similar videos on CNN and BBC. Yeah, that's right. I'm like, okay, finally someone's come out with this. And, uh, but what, how are they being made? Because the, those kind of videos are very common. I, and I've, I've been seeing them for probably seven, eight years or probably even longer. Um, yeah. So what were they using before to create so those what, kind of videos? Yeah, that's right. So what we like to do is we look at what people create by hand. So you'll have you know, a company like or a media corporation like CNN will have a video production team. They'll have a specialized team that uses specialized software like After Effects to produce uh-huh. certain types of videos. Um, and what we watch for is what are these specialized video teams doing? Um, and then we look into how, how hard is it to do? How long does it take them? And on average, creating a video like that, especially if you hire an agency or a contractor, it's going to take you a couple of weeks, sometimes upwards of a month. Um, and what we try to build technology solutions for is how do we take what people want to do and are already doing, taking weeks doing, but cutting that time down to under five minutes. And so the average completion time on our platform now is around six minutes. We're getting really close to the five-minute mark. Um, and and that's that's how we 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 innovate over time as well. So to this day, I still look at what people do by hand, how long is it going to take them, how do I then create technology solutions so that other people who are not trained in video editing can create the same style of videos. And right. so, you know, what you had prior to Lumen 5's launch, a lot of those videos that you've seen on CNN and Economist and so forth, um, slowly became replaced. Because after we build the solution, we we contact the economists and we say, hey, you know those videos you've been using, you you obviously have a demand for them. It obviously takes you a long time. It's very expensive. Here, check out this technology solution. So many of the videos are powered by Lumen5 today. Uh, the Economist, Forbes, they're all part of our list of customers. Wow. wow. Okay. That's, that's actually really interesting. So let's go back. So you talk about you tried, you figured out what people were using, what, what people are doing already and you know, things that were taking a week. You tried to figure out, okay, fine. We're going to you know, do that for them and uh, make it easy. So let's now talk about your the time when you actually started working on the solution and when you started talking to the customers. Let's talk about that. How many, how many potential customers did you speak with as you were building the product? Let's talk about that whole uh, duration. Yeah, there's a, a pretty fun story there. Uh, if you're into launch stories, this is definitely a good one. Uh, in the very early days, with the prototype, um, with with the very early version of Lumen Five that wasn't ready for public use, I actually created a profile on Fiverr, and on Fiverr, I was offering to create videos for five dollars, which was a very competitive offer. I was the only provider in my category who was able to create video for five dollars. Uh-huh. Other people can't do it. They, they, it just the time doesn't really make sense. And so I was out competing uh, people from overseas, even people with different things because I had a technology solution to my advantage. And I built a fairly strong profile on Fiverr. I had client referrals. There was obviously search traffic coming through Fiverr. Um, and I was able to deliver on these projects quite easily using the technology right. that we were building. And so in a way, uh, I was talking to customers. They didn't know that I was building Lumen5 or I was part of Lumen5 in any shape or form. As far as they were concerned, I was a video producer delivering a service. Um, but naturally, but uh, as a service provider, I am learning when they're asking for requests and revisions, can you do this? Can you tweak that? I want the music to be here. I want to replace this. And over time, that became um, iterations of the product. And then one day when we felt ready to flip the switch, uh, I simply denied future projects. And I said, hey, you can do this 
for, for, for free, you know, to save your $5. Okay. Um, here's what I built. And in the, in the first eight months or so, Lumen 5 was completely a freemium. Oh, it still is a freemium. So we have a free plan. At the time, all features were free. Um, and so instead of doing video for $5, I simply said, hey, go do it yourself for free. Uh, and oh, so wow. the Fiverr account became... That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Okay, Mike, here's a question. So, so I've been trying to do some reading, some research for a very long time, but my whole day just flies by. And then I'm thinking, if I'm going to do something like what you did, where I have to actually do... I have to promote my Fiverr profile. I have to get the customers in and I have to actually talk to them and I have to deliver the projects to them. That's a lot of work. So how did you even manage that? So let's talk about you were doing that and you were managing your dev team. And then obviously you were probably doing marketing as well. And then you were probably managing all the finances and everything. Uh, so how did you do that? How did you have the, a big, big yeah, team? The good, the good news is finances are very simple when you're generating $5. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so I have two co-founders and that that uh, certainly made a big difference for me. Both of my co-founders are technical co-founders. So they were full-time building the product uh, and I was just managing the customer side. Um, and there was no finances. You know, it's, it's $5. You don't pay taxes under a certain uh, volume of revenue in the first year and so forth. So um, I focused really on the customer segment. I was no, actually, the role sorry, of- Mike, I was actually talking about um, as a startup, uh, doesn't matter how much money you have, it's never going to be enough. So you have to really watch out where you're spending and you have to uh, just make sure that you know, you know, you know right, you right, work right. all the time. So yeah. that's a lot of work. I, I didn't realize until quite recently that uh, you, <laughs> you have to really make sure that where you're spending the money. So that's another bit of thing I have to do pretty much every other you know, day. So yeah, and 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 to, to clarify, we didn't actually hire anyone until we reached ten thousand users. So it was just myself and my two co-founders who were working, all of us working for free. Um, and so that's why the money wasn't as big of a consideration. They were building full time, and they were they're great engineers, and was able to build the solution while I was just playing the role of product manager um, and and guiding on on what we should build. And so uh, you know, about six months into uh, post launch and and all of that, that's when we hit ten thousand users and made our first. First engineering hire. Oh wow, that's really good. So let's talk about the first day of development. I'm guessing you can't really pinpoint the first day of develop development, but what I'm trying to say is, how long before you guys are ready for beta? Um, from the you know yeah. It's certainly is difficult to pinpoint because at the time we were toying around with different ideas, but I would say it was approximately a four to five month period starting from when we came up with the idea, starting to write um, just very draft code mock-ups and playing around with different things, even just poking around PowerPoint, understanding how they work, breaking mm-hmm. down the UX patterns and so forth. So it was about a four or five month period before um, before the platform was usable. I would say mm-hmm. usable because I was, I was the only user for a period of time delivering yeah. a service on Fiverr. Um, um, and then it wasn't until say, around March of 2017 where we actually welcomed um, user signups. Okay, so let's talk about Peter. Uh, Peter, how did you launch the product? Did you have a user base already, or you just put it out there on, on Product Hunt or something, and then went from there? Yeah, it was it was fairly grassroots. So Product Hunt was one of the places. Um, uh, I think Product Hunt itself wasn't really the main driver. It was a lot of grunt work. It was day in, day out. I was creating videos um, really just preemptively for people and then tweeting the video at them. So I would make uh-huh. a video for your business, for example. I would tweet a video of your business for you. And I would just do that all day. I would do that on Twitter. I would do that on LinkedIn. I would do that on Reddit. Um, and really just saying, hey, I made a video for your business. I think you should put it up somewhere. You know, All yours. Feel free. And if you want to make more, 
great. Here, here's how you do it. Uh, and that's how we drove traffic at the beginning. It was a lot of manually creating videos, sending it to people, and then just telling them how they can do that for themselves. That's really interesting, actually. That's really what kind of traction do you reckon you got from it in terms of uh, users signing up and getting feedback from those people? That's a lot of work. Yeah, so it is a lot of work. For the first month in January, we got 470 users. So 470 people, a combination. It's, it's hard to track now whether how many of them came from Product Hunt or Reddit. But it was a combination of Product Hunt, Reddit, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, direct emails. And that generated the first 400 users. Um, and then that grew to 800 in February and then 1,380 in March. I have a few numbers here. Uh, and then so by June was when we hit the 10,000 user mark. Oh, wow. That's Oh, right. So you basically got 10,000 users straight after beta, six months after beta. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh -huh. And and there is a viral component to Lumen5, which is uh, noteworthy. Um, there is a watermark on the Lumen5 yeah. video that you create. And so when people create videos and they post it on their timelines, wherever, tw Twitter, Facebook, and so forth, that watermark uh, became the marketing engine. So the more people create videos, the more people come to be exposed to the Lumen5 brand. And so there is a bit of a network viral effect happening there. Right. So... So Mike, so you, you got 10,000 users in six months and when was the product ready for prime time where you could start charging people for it? <laughs> I mean, if you ask me, I, I still am not sure if it's ready for prime time, uh, but we started charging around August, so about eight months since the launch of the of the initial testing or beta version. Um, we, ne we never really had official beta, not beta. It was just an iteration. So eight months in was when we... Um, uh, put in a price tag. And at the time, the concept was very simple. Uh, everything is free, but if you pay, we remove the watermark. That was it. Right. And so um, a lot of businesses, as you can imagine, did that because they don't, you know, they care about their brand identity. They don't want to have the Lumen5 watermark. And I think the first plan was something like 20 bucks a month. Um, mm -hmm. And so with a quick credit card subscription, they've already been creating videos for a few months. Removing the watermark was a no-brainer for them. Right. Great, 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 great. So... Uh, so apologies, uh, Mike, one second, sorry. So right, so, so Mike, you know, when, um, so let's talk about, so I'm, I'm guessing that's August 2017, right? When you started charging people. Yeah. So at that time, how many users had uh, signed up? At that time would have been around 26,000 users. So you went from 10,000 to 26,000 within two months. Yeah, that's right. It was uh, so. So that's why the viral network effect was really important. Is the the manual labor that I put in in the first half of the year was was what creates the base for the virality. And then once you have that base, the virality kind of takes over. Uh, right. That's what happened. And were you doing any kind of uh, content marketing apart from obviously the content marketing where you were publishing videos? Were you doing any other blog, you know, blog posts or any kind of stuff? That we didn't actually start traditional marketing until probably January 2019. So, you know, two years ago was when we started investing into content and to ads and, and a lot of the marketing stack is still quite new to us. Um, we relied very heavily on the viral growth of the product for a very long time. Right. Okay. So when you, when you first put the price tag up, um, how did that go down? Did you, was it like a, did you just start charging people that, okay, we're going to start charging you now? Or was it like a whole launch event which you did? It wasn't. Um, we've we've never really been big fans of big launches. It's always subtle. It's always iterative. And what we did was simply, um, as I mentioned before, there's a watermark in the logo. When you're about to publish your video, it simply says if 
you know, remove the logo. You click okay. the button and then it shows you the price, 20 bucks a month. Uh, and that was it. And, and then every time people publish a video, they get to see that prompt if they're on the free account and they have the choice at that time to keep our logo, in which case, great. They, every video they create becomes exposure and marketing for us, or they can choose to pay, in which case, great, that's revenue for the company. Okay. So what kind of growth did you see from the time you started you know, charging people? In that time, in those early periods, I think in the first month, there was something like 3,000 in monthly recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were a good handful of customers uh, for, for $3,000 yeah. and 20 bucks a month. There was a good handful from the 25,000 users who did decide to pay us. Uh, and then from there, we saw quite significant growth over the following um, few years, I would say, um, as as not only did our technology solution improve, but also the demand for video just grew. There's a lot of businesses that are looking to create video today that never thought about video five years mm-hmm. ago. And so I think a lot of our growth, um, as much as I think we've done a good job capturing the opportunity, mm-hmm. we're also very fortunate to be in a market that's rapidly growing, that the demand yeah. is just constantly growing. Right. So Mike, so let's talk about when you first started charging till now. Um, what's changed in terms of, um, obviously the product must have grown tremendously in terms of, your pricing, um, did that change? Um, how you had the pricing model, how did that change over time? Yeah, for sure. So before it was a single price, 20 bucks a month to remove the logo. Now we have different pricing tiers. We've got features that are targeted for uh, individual users who have no need to collaborate with people. We've got a higher price tier that's designed for teams who are not only looking to just create video content, but also collaborate permissions and um, management and editing and admin permissions and so forth. Uh, We have enterprise deals now. So we work with Fortune 500 companies who have different requirements, everything as simple as um, security for the account information, all the way through to the the ability for them to repurpose videos from one uh, geolocation to a different office around the world. Um, So price has become much more segmented across the many different customer profiles we now serve. Right. So here's a question for you. So in the early days, you were talking to, you were on Fiverr, you were talking to your potential customers, you were putting out videos to the potential customers. So you were doing all the grunt work and now you've grown quite a lot. So I'm guessing you are super busy as well. So how do you make sure that you still talk to your potential customers, still make sure that you know what's happening on the ground, what you know, what the pain points are? Uh, that, that, that must be quite difficult. How do you, how do you manage that now? Yeah, it's, it's certainly uh, not easy. Um, I think as most founders of growing companies start to start to see is is I spend a lot more of my time with the larger customers. So you know, if a if a company like Salesforce comes through, I, I, I'll be there and listen to the feedback. What are their problems? How do we solve their problems? Um, we have support shifts around the company, so everyone takes turns answering tickets, understanding the use cases, troubleshooting for our customers. That's not limited to just me. It's uh, members of the engineering team, marketing team would be involved, design team especially would be involved in that process. Uh, I think it's, it's you know, turning that question around a little bit is as important as it is for me to listen to the customers. Um, what I think is even more important is to make sure that the entire company, everyone that's working on the product has a chance to interact with the customer and understand what we're actually trying to do. Because I think it's one thing for a leader to say, here's what we're building this quarter. And it's another thing for the team to truly understand what problems we're trying to solve. And so uh, for me, it's much more important to build an ecosystem so that everyone talks to customers, not just myself. Right. Okay. So, so you have support team, you do that yourself, but what about the developers? How do you make sure that they know what's happening on the They're also part of the support. They're part of the support rotation. Oh, okay. That's, that's interesting. So how, how do you manage that? So that's really good. Do you have set days during a month where they have to work in the support or? 
Yeah, it's usually not. A, I mean, it's it's not a lot of time. The troubleshooting uh, oftentimes are actually quite technical, so it's not, it's not actually that detached. A lot of times, people do come to support with technical inquiries of okay. maybe rendering issue or maybe things not showing up right. So, in many cases, an engineering team member is actually more able to assist than um, someone who's not an engineer. Uh, so, we have a combination of two things. There is the support shift, where uh, for a dedicated chunk of time, uh, an engineer or someone from any team would would answer questions and troubleshoot, and also use. User calls, so we have um, an option for users to book a call with a member of the Lumen Five team to provide feedback or just generally try to understand the product a little better. And there's a rotation schedule there as well. So when you say user call, is there is that part of your automation, or you actually there's an option somewhere on the on the product where they can book a call? There is um, it, it's it's more automation. So what we detect is if the user reaches a certain level of activity, we consider them to be active or a power user. We would uh, prompt them to say, "Hey, if you're interested in chatting with a member of our team, whether it's general feedback or feature requests, here book a time, and then it, it puts it into a rotation schedule." So usually our power users are very um, very happy to talk to us because they want their feature requests to be prioritized. Yeah. <laughs> and so feature request conversations are oftentimes the beginning of understanding your customer. The request comes from a place of need of a problem that they want solved. And that's how we ensure that every member of the team talks to our customers. Great. So, you know, as you're, as you're talking, I'm actually talking about the growth, uh, the wired growth. And I'm thinking someone's listening to this and uh, they're thinking, okay, the wired growth, it sounds really good. But was that about design or it just happened? Would you have, could you replicate it again now? If you were to restart this thing or something, something that, that has a wired component, would you do the same thing? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it, it, so it, it's partially by design, but you, things never go according to plan. So just, just because I wanted something viral doesn't mean it's actually going to go and, and happen. Um, but it is something that I care very much about in every product that I build and touch is, can one user lead to an additional user? And if, if the answer is greater than one, then your viral coefficient means that it'll just keep blowing up until it reaches some sort of plateau. So there, there was an intention there for us to think from the very beginning of a product, can one user lead to an additional user? And if so, uh, through what channel is that going to happen? In the famous Hotmail example, or actually, sorry, iPhone example, uh, sent from my iPhone in the email signature was their way of ensuring that every time you send an email to someone, they become exposed to the iPhone brand. And so we drew a lot of inspiration from that concept to say, if somebody sends you a video, how can we say created using Lumen5? And so that's what the watermark became. Great, great. great. That's really interesting. So let's talk about the, your content marketing, the other content marketing, your blog posts and everything. You said you only started in 2019. Uh, first of all, why did you start in 2019? Not, not, why not before or after? Was there a particular time? Was there a particular reason you started in 2019? And what's happened since then in terms of that marketing? Yeah, I think, um, so as I mentioned before, we relied really heavily on the viral growth of the product and that was going really well. But our ambitions also grew too. Mm-hmm. If we're doubling or tripling every year, that's great. But how do we then double that? How do we triple that? And so that became the conversation where how do we actually put fuel to the fire? How do we invest in marketing to to 
because we know there's a viral component. So we know that if we throw fuel to the fire, it'll grow even quicker. And that's when we started investing in building out a marketing team. Content is just a single piece of it. Uh, we also invest in uh, email automation, product marketing, customer marketing, advertising, lead aggregators. And, and now we have a bit more of a traditional marketing stack. Um, and so what you can expect, uh, as you would expect, is that the traffic t- has gone up a lot. It has its own challenges, especially with content marketing. We started to see a surge in traffic, but maybe it's not for the right keywords. Maybe it's not for the right customer profile. And so it's not as, uh, in my opinion, it's not as simple as virality where it draws people that are the right fit. Uh, They're watching the video, they volunteer, they come to explore the brand. Um, With content, our experiments uh, range all the way from different keywords that are not necessarily directly tied to video creation. So you get a lot of traffic and maybe even a lot of signups, but it doesn't always mean that it brings ideal customer profiles. And that's something that we continue to tweak to this day. Yeah. So you know, you, you talked about you know you were trying to figure out how you could grow company to five x ten x whatever. So before we got on the call, I was actually looking at your uh, traffic stats again, very impressive. And it got me thinking, Lumen Five is such a great product, such a simple product to use. Obviously, it's a very complex product you built, but for a user, for me, it's very easy to use. So why not go multilingual? Why not go global? And I, then I started looking at traffic stats for. Some of the keywords you guys you guys are ranking for, and I just translated them on uh, Google, and then I put them back in Ahrefs, and and there's huge ton of traffic where literally there's no competition. So, have you guys thought about going multilingual and growing there? Because it, f- it feels like it's a wide open market, no competition, and uh, it's there for the taking. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so you know, two answers to that question. Number one is we do currently serve multinational customers. So the product itself is not multilingual, um, but I believe the last time I checked, only less than forty percent of our customers are from North America. So it's significant portion from yeah. Europe and, and Asia and so forth. Um, and so the customers from different languages are already coming. Um, and one thing that we benefit from is Lumen Five is not language heavy. You can go through the whole user experience without speaking a single word of English. It's a visual user experience. Um, And to to our advantage, a lot of people have written about Lumen5 in all sorts of different languages. So if you go search for Lumen5 in Spanish or in Chinese or in Korean, you're going to find articles written by our users. Mm -hmm. um, And they've done the content marketing for us. So uh, the the answer is kind of twofold. As much as we didn't invest in content marketing until recent years, Mm -hmm. we benefited from content marketing. It was just user-generated content. Um, So we we already have a lot of lead sources Mm -hmm. in a lot of these different places. But you're right in that. uh, And this year is actually when we're going to start to invest in multilingual marketing to, mm-hmm. again, pour fuel to the fire yeah. of the international growth. And with that is going to come um, different challenges as well. We have heard that customers are, are less satisfied with US dollars being the benchmark for pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to have to experiment with not just localization of linguistics, but also with pricing of local well, currencies as well. Yeah, I would have thought that, you know, for example, places like Brazil, where, in, where English is not very widely spoken, it's a huge market. And then... Um, of course, you might have loads of customers from Brazil, but those are the people that you know speak English already. But having been there myself a couple of times, I know it's English is not spoken at all. So, yeah, for sure. Um, and there's probably a lot of uh, demand for it. So I think that would be a good move this year for you guys. Um, so a few last questions, uh, Mike. So what kind of conversion rates are you getting? So I know you're getting a lot of uh, users sign up, but... <laughs> I was a big, you know, uh, I was really big on freemium products back in 2014, and then I kind of shifted away from it. That look, it doesn't work. It just adds a lot of uh, overhead 
you know, support overhead. But then I'm um, I'm shifting back to premium again. So it's very interesting. You guys are still premium, and uh, you, that's how you convert your users. But what kind of conversion rates are you getting in terms of users signing up, and how many how many of those convert into customers, and uh, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I, I think it's. You know, on the topic of whether or not freemium is a good business model, in my opinion, depends entirely on the virality. If you have viral growth, freemium is great because a free user actually brings additional free users. And so it's not just a cost center because they're also a marketing um, benefits. If you don't have virality in your product, then free users become an absolute cost center. You don't actually benefit from the free users. Uh, And so I would would caveat that for anyone listening who's interested in that. Um, Virality is the one of the only reasons why I continue to operate a freemium model because I know there is a positive return even when I don't charge the money. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the users themselves, their effort in creating the video and sharing that video, they're an extension of the marketing team. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as conversion rates go, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. Um, but I, what I can say is the conversion rates vary drastically depending on the customer profile. So enterprise is something that we've dived into over the past year and a half uh, or so. The conversion rates on the Fortune 500 side is completely night and day. The, the numbers are nowhere the same as you would someone from Brazil who signs up who's, who's kind of an individual digital marketer. Yeah. So one thing that I've learned to do, um, especially in the past year and a half, is to try to stop myself from looking at average figures so you, mm-hmm. you've got average revenue per user or even revenue churn or user churn. Average starts to make less sense when you have a larger customer base with lots of different segmentations. Now I'm looking at um, churn or conversion rates for enterprise, for mid-market, for small business, and then for individuals. Yeah. And they all have differing numbers. Um, what, I d- what I did find for a product like ours where it's applicable across the board, doesn't matter what industry you're in, what, what, what uh, small business or enterprise, the average figure was very misleading for me. So if the conversion rate is, say, 1%, okay, yeah. great. And well, what's the average lifetime value? Is it a 1,000 or is it a million? And that's how wide the range is when you're talking about individuals and enterprise. Right. So that's where we're at now. Um, and in 2021, segmentation is something we're going to take a lot more seriously. Um, mm-hmm. We're starting to set up separate dashboards. Here's the SaaS metrics for enterprise. Here's the SaaS metrics for mid-market, for small business, and almost treating them as different business units yeah. that we would uh, invest in sales and marketing accordingly. Great, great, great. So Mike, one last question. Um, you you almost made it sound like it was a very perfect ride all the way from uh, starting out to this point. Um, so imagine uh, someone has listened to this and they're just starting out and you're in their place. What would you do differently? What would be your journey at that point now? Yeah, so to 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 start off, uh, not at all easy, you know, extremely <laughs> difficult, uh, and and a ton of bugs and technical issues. If you tried Lumen Five in the first four months, I don't know if you would ever come back. You know, sometimes you you try to publish a video, it just never shows up, or it will send you the video like two days later. So there were certainly a lot of technical challenges. There continues to be a lot of technical challenges. Um, one of the the more difficult things that we've had to tackle is. Cloning is a real thing. And when we first saw success and traffic started to pick up, um, we went from zero competitors to something like 12. You know, some of them literally just copy and pasted our website uh, and didn't even change my name. You know, my name was still on the about page. That's that's how direct of a copy it was. Uh, And so, you know, one thing that I would I would uh, kind of advice I would give to anyone starting out is when you start to see the traction, um, don't be put off. 
by by people who are going to copy you. Take it as a compliment. It means you're onto something. Um, and I over time, I've learned that it doesn't matter how many people try to copy. What's most important for founders, product builders, and entrepreneurs is just to focus on the customer. Just, you're never going to win by copying someone else. Um, how you're going to win is just by focusing on helping your customers, delivering value. And I think any entrepreneur who sees traction is going to experience the same thing I did, going from zero yeah. com- competitors to 12, to 24, to 50, to hundreds of competitors. If you're doing really well, people are going to want to copy you. Um, and then just being calm, being unfazed by it. And, and don't be distracted by competition because at the end of the day, it's helping the customers. That's what matters. Yeah. that You know, I've got something else to add to that. I know you guys have clones. I've seen them around, but... Lumen 5 is such a big brand. I've, if I was to go back and start using Lumen, you know, a similar product, I would not use it because I would just come back to Lumen 5. It's such a big brand. I've seen that around so much. So I think that, that plays a big, big uh, role as well. Yeah, there's going to be copycats, but because you have such a big brand, if you build such a big brand and people love you, you're always going to go back to that solution. So you don't really have to uh, worry about that. But anyway, so... Uh, uh, last question, uh, what's uh, what's the future for Lumen5 in the next couple of years? Well, the next couple of years, I think um, it, there's so much more to video and video itself is changing so rapidly. So when we first started, Instagram stories didn't exist. And now it's literally the biggest thing. Um, I think it was last year, it was only last year in 2020 that LinkedIn started supporting video. So just think okay. about like how crazy this thing is. Um, so as LinkedIn supports video, I think Google just launched Google Stories. Even Spotify has Spotify Stories. A lot of our work over the next few years, I'm expecting that the the internet, um, social networks are going to innovate significantly on what they support in terms of videos, allowing for different types of video, perhaps interactions of videos. With Instagram Stories, we're starting to see that you're not just watching a video, you're swiping, you're, you're participating in polls. Um, so over the next few years, we're going to be experimenting with the creation tools. How do you create interactive content for these different platforms as they start to support it? So I think three to four years from now, um, what you're going to see is video becomes interactive. It's not just a video that you create for people. It's a branching narrative that if they yeah. choose option A, it's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure. The video would adapt depending on the viewer and, and whatever cookies they have, websites they've visited. Um, and that's what I think the future has in store for video marketing. Great. Mike, thank you very much. Uh, again, Luan5, love the brand. And uh, thank you for coming on the show and uh, good luck for the future. Thank you for having me. It was great chatting with you. And that's it for this episode of Launch Legends. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and share more online marketing launch stories, please search for Launch Legends in your favorite podcast listening app and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time.